0: This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. In Jesus' name, amen. Now your best shout ever. Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 1. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiachin the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and the craftsmen and artisans have been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter to Elsha, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay, plant gardens and eat the food they produce, marry and have children, then find spouses for them so that that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for it is welfare, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do you all the good things I have promised and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. "they are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days, when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me.
1: Thank you, Ryan. You may be seated. You give God a praise, he's worthy, right? Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Ryan, for the reading of the Bible. Uh, How many of you like a praise report? All right, I'm going to ask J.D. J.D., will you come up? Uh, Ryan, will you hand me that microphone? Uh, He was telling me something God did. Last week, we took communion for his grandbaby, and I just felt like this is something good for all of us to hear. Morning, everybody. How you doing? Awesome, awesome. Uh, Just a real quick praise report. Um, Hadassah has had troubles eating and such, and because everybody prayed for her last week, um, we have faith that... uh, she was uh, graduated from the uh, NJ tube, which went into her intestines, um, up to an NT tube, which is a uh, stomach feed, and she's been eating from a bottle regularly. So, awesome. thank you. Praise God. Amen. God is a good God, right? There is power in communion. Never, never doubt that. Don't, don't let it just be some religious thing. Come on when it's your grandbaby that needs a miracle. Come on. Hallelujah. God is awesome. So we're going to do that today. We're going to continue at the end to take communion and believe for supernatural life to happen in our body and in our presence to see what the Lord is doing. Uh, Truths of a skeptic this week and next week. And then we have Easter. God's put something really special on my heart for Easter I'm looking forward to it. So we'll end this series in two weeks. And then we're going to pick up, Robin and I both, we'll be kind of tag-teaming it together, are going to talk about marriage of a skeptic. We're going to cover everything, though, uh, not, not just married life. We're going to try to touch it all from abuse and hurts and divorce and everything that gets intermingled in these things we call relationship. And we're calling it marriage of a skeptic. So I'm excited to share with our house, how you, no matter how long you've been married, how you can have a, an incredible relationship, whether you're single or not, uh, and what God can do. So I'm looking forward to that. But let's jump in today. Uh, I saved this near the last. Uh, next week's kind of burning in my heart even today and I was wrestling which way to go and I just landed on this because it's been something that I personally struggle with most of my life. and I find as a shepherd of a house like this, and 31 years of pastoring, it's been probably the topic that arises the most. That I, you know, find myself trying to offer advice and offer wisdom, and at the same time trying to figure it out myself and 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 what it really means. And so what I'm what I'm gonna do today is just give you what I've worked out over uh, I started in ministry when I was 10 and a puppet ministry. I know that sounds really weird, but we had a really good puppet ministry at 10 years old. By the time I was 14, we were traveling all over the Southeast United States, and we were doing puppet shows everywhere. Uh, I don't know, anybody remember when uh, Kmart did all their re openings, and they kind of rebranded? Well, we were part of all the rebrandings in the South for Kmart's. And we would show up, that's long before political correctness, we would show up with puppets and we would preach the gospel in the middle of Kmart. Come on, somebody. <laughs> the good old days. Uh, but, you know, even, even back then at 14, 15, this topic was very much on my heart and other people's hearts and has and been uh, my journey my whole life. And so I want to jump in with a question. Here's the question that typically is asked me. Does God have a specific divine purpose for your life? Is there something God looks down from heaven and says, uh, this is what you're going to do with your life. This right here. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be. And that God has written down in heaven a specific job for you. He has a job description in heaven. He writes it out. and And the weird thing is he writes it out before you're even born. Before Steve's ever even born, he writes out this is what Steve Obermeyer is going to do with his life. And God writes it out. He's got the perfect plan written out. And then you're born. And then the rest of your life, you wrestle with, am I going to reach that plan? And you think you do sometimes, and then you get fired. And then you think you do, and uh, you end up divorced. And you think you find it, and then a pastor hurts you. And then you think you find it, and somebody abuses you. And... And most people who really have a passion for Jesus ultimately will struggle with this. Is there something very specific I'm supposed to do with my life? And then it kind of tags into these kind of questions. I feel so purposeless. I feel lost. I feel like what I do on planet earth is not making a difference. And then most people who really are passionate for Jesus... Wrestle even more with this question because they suddenly feel like well, maybe I'm called to ministry So it eliminates 99% of all other job opportunities And then they just seek to only work in the church because they so love God That must be my divine purpose is to get on staff at a church work at a church plant a church be in a church Because God would have to like that out of me and so there's this real uh Wavering of a ship to understand this thing called divine purpose. Do you even have one? Uh, Is there one waiting on you? And that here's the weird thing, that one day you're going to stand in front of God, and when you do, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or will He look at you and say, dude, you got nowhere close to what I wanted you to do. You wasted your life. You wasted your years. I did not want you to do what you did. I did not want you to go to college and become a science person. That's not what I had for you. You did it. I'm so unproud of you as a Heavenly Father. What I really had planned for you was this. You went this way, therefore, I'm not very happy with you. And I don't know if you struggle with it, but I know a lot of my conversations people are doing it. I got a text from a young man who is 19 two weeks ago, and he said, I just need you to give me wisdom because I feel like I have no purpose. I don't know what God wants me to do with my life. I don't, I don't know the next steps to take. I don't know where to go. And so we just had a, you know, a late night evening texting back and forth, trying to answer a young man who's 19, who's passionately in love with Jesus, trying to figure out what should I do with my life. They did a, a study years ago. It wasn't a Christian study but they went and asked old people and by old, 70 and up. So everybody that was over 70 participated in the study. And they did a study and they asked 70 year old people, did they have any regrets of their life? And they asked all across the same question, do you have any regrets? If you could go back and change anything, would you change anything? And across the board, here's what they said. It wasn't, I wish I would have had another job, I wish I would have married somebody different. I wish I would have lived in another state. Here across the board is what people said. I wish I would have taken more risk. And so what it teaches us about purpose is all of us, if we're not careful, will default to the easiest thing to do on planet Earth. We will always, by human nature, not all all of us, but many of us, will default to the easiest way out. Whether that's the government taking care of me, whether it's food stamps, whether it's living in my parents' basement, whether it's video games for hours, hoping I get YouTube famous, it's the easiest way. And I want to try to take this topic and give it to you in a way that when you walk out the door today, it would be a success for me if you walked out and said, I think I have a plan of how to find God's purpose for my life. And it would hopefully blanket all of us and we could go out. So let's look at a scripture. This was the skeptic scripture that was in my life for years. And I'll read it to you and then we'll jump back to what Ryan read. Romans 12:1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you <laughs> to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind that he will find acceptable and right there, that word really stings when you're a young man and you're in your teens and you're passionate about Jesus and you just want God to find you acceptable. But I, I struggled with lust as a teenager. Uh, in high school, I had sex with my girlfriend and I would cry on Sunday because I blew it on Friday night and I would just sob at the altar and I would ask God to forgive me and then I would go back and repeat and I'd get drunk on Friday night with the boys. Uh, I was 11th grade, I'd just go out with the, the high school football dudes and my friends, get just totally drunk, come to church on Sunday and just feel so unworthy, so beaten down, so uh, like I was a failure because this, God won't accept you. And wrestling with testosterone because back in my day nobody talked about sexuality. You were just told if, if you did that you went to hell You don't need to do that kind of stuff. A guy doesn't need to sleep with a girl. You need to live pure and holy. I didn't mind that, but it would have helped if somebody would have given me some more than just a scripture and would have helped me know how do you take a testosterone-filled kid and tell him not to go after girls because that's what's in the boy's nature. It's in the nature of a boy to run after a female and to... Uh, it sounds weird to want to mate we call it marriage we call it having children but it God puts it in us so that the boy the male species will run after the female and then it says this that God will find you acceptable because that's really how you worship him truly don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world you can see how already it's almost a disastrous life because you, you're, you're left here on planet earth to worship God but The customs of the world, if you're not careful, transform you rather than God. And the customs of the world start throwing things at you. And you should be this and you should do that. And then your parents put the pressure on you. Well, Daddy did this. You should do that. You need to go to this college. You should go to that college. I don't even want to go to college. Well, you got to go to college. Everybody ought to go to college. You don't need to go to college. It's a waste of money. You should go to tech school. I hate tech school. You don't need to go to art school. You'll never make any money if you go to art school. And everybody and their brother has got wisdom for young people and it it becomes so convoluted that as I walk this out in my early years, this was what was buzzing in my head. It's almost easier to serve the devil than it is God. Because with the devil, you don't have to figure out. You just live it. You don't have to pray about anything. You don't have to ask if God is proud of you. You just chase you, baby, and you is an easy road. But then you get born again and people start telling you that there's a God in heaven who has a purpose for you and he wants your life to be acceptable and you should worship him and you should die for him and you should give your life for him. And then this is the in the pink, it was the the skeptical part. You got to change the way you think and then you'll learn to know God's will. There it was. And then this is how it was taught me. I'm not saying it's wrong Uh, By any means, it wasn't wrong. It was taught me in a very passionate way, but it took me years to work it out. You'll know God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The King James has it a little differently. It says that you may know the good, perfect, and pleasing, acceptable will of God. And the way it was taught in my early years is that these were three levels of God's will. His good will, meaning He really wasn't that proud of you, but you did it, you'll probably get into heaven, be a good person. His pleasing will. He's clapping for you. You did okay. You're kind of B-level Christian here. And then the perfect will. And that's what you were told to seek. You were told to seek the perfect will of God. And when you're 19 years old and somebody tells you, I can still feel the pain of it. When somebody tells you to seek the perfect will of God, it is tormenting that you're going to fail. It is tormenting. What if I go to the wrong school? What if I marry the wrong person? What if, what if I buy the wrong house? What, and then it just it, it exasperates itself. I don't know whether to buy a Toyota or a Honda. I just need God's will. What is God's will? Buy consumer reports. They'll tell you. You won't even need God's will on this thing. But, but, but when, you're, when you're chasing the perfect will of God, I just need God to tell me what kind of grass to buy. I need God to tell me where to go eat. I need the God to tell me how to cut my hair. I need God to tell me where I can go to the movies or not. And that perfect will just begins to bombard people so their whole life they, they stay stuck because they're so fearful of making a decision because it might be displeasing to God because it wasn't perfected. And does God want me to go to UGA or does God want me to go to West Georgia? Oh, God, I don't know, man. Where does the Lord want me to be? And then factor in this, church. Where does God want you to go to church? Is is there the perfect church for you? And and that's kind of the way we put it. There's just this perfect place for you. There is no perfect church for you. There's broken people. There's crazy people. There's leaders that are weird. There's me. Uh, But, but we, really, we really can't deny that, that it's there. We can't just push the scripture away and go, let's don't talk about it. We, we, we would have to say that there is a perfect will of God. There, there's just no way around it. I mean, if it hurts, it hurts. But I, I think we, we would be very hard pressed to look at New Testament scripture and say that there is not a perfect will of God. For your life. Now that really makes your hind end tighten a little bit because you probably sit there and go, Am I in it? Am I doing God's perfect will right now? Did I miss it? That's the real hard thing. Did I miss it? And if I missed it, can I correct course? And if I can correct course, am I too old to correct? Or should I just suck it up and live the best I can because I blew it? I missed it. So I hope to help you today. That's the intro. (laughs) I hope to help you today as it helped me because I no longer come on Jesus. I no longer live anxious. I no longer live tormented by this. i figured it out and I just thought I'll download it to you and I hope it helps you. Here is another scripture. This is what Ryan read. I know the plans I have for you. There he is again. Like God looks down and knows the plans. They're plans for good and not disaster. So here's what we can say about this will of God. God, whatever He would want out of you, He's not trying to hurt you. He's trying to get you to a future that is very hopeful. But this thing about humans, we get nervous about the future because we like security and the future is not secure. It's abstract. It's unknown. And so... What we would say from this is, watch now, God has a plan that he knows to push you to something that's unknown. and He wants to get you there, and once he gets you there, it'll be very hopeful, it'll be very good for you, and you'll live life. I would have never, uh, if in, at 15 and 16, when I was hungry for God, I could have never in my life dreamed up that I would be standing on the corner of Pope and Bomar in a barn-looking building talking to three or 400 people a week. I could have never written that out. But here I am, and I say to the here I am, I feel like I'm in the perfected will of God. And yet, I, I, I would have never been able to pin that down, that specific pinning, in this moment. Like one day, I'm going to be standing on that corner and if somebody came to me and said, look, we'll give you triple the amount of money Believers Church pays you if you'll come start a church, I feel very confident I would leave. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just seeing if you were listening. It, got, it was so quiet. Everybody's kind of like looking like you're asleep, like it was a hard Saturday. <laughs> I just wanted to see if you were going to reel you in real quick. Uh, no, I, I would not leave. I love it here. Like, I, I really feel like unless God just shows up, I'll... I want to grow old and die here. So I'm pretty good with that. So I'm not looking to go anywhere. But here's, here's the question that bids. Should I, Mark, spend time waiting on God's plan or get busy about my plan? Because so many young people wait on God's plan. They're wasting their life. They're wasting their life. They're wasting their life wondering where should I go or move or go to college. I don't want to go there because God may want me to go here. So they wait on this divine revelation. And so I I really, as I work this out for myself in my young years, and by young I mean my 30s and 40s, it's taken me quite a while to figure this out. Should you wait or should you just go for it? And I want to teach you how I think the answer is. Here is the thought. When you as a believer get busy living your life, in the midst of that, you often discover God's plan. (laughs) In other words, the worst place to find the plan is crying it out in a basement asking God to tell you what to do. I'm not saying he would not do that. He's a big God. But I'm going to go, I'm not statistically accurate here. I'm just going off my experiences. I'm going to go nine out of ten people find the will of God when they just get busy living life. They just start walking out life. And over the time, they find it. And they're like, man, I found the will of God. It doesn't mean as you live your life, you won't have some failures and you won't have some mistakes. But remember, the failures and the mistakes, he's a very merciful God. And he will, he will uh, enrapture you with his grace. And if you just keep pressing into him, uh, here I am, at, I'll turn 56 next month. Here I am at 56 and, and I've discovered his plan. And I feel good about it. And I'm like, I, I think I could die doing this. Like, that's how happy I am. Like, I'm content. I'm, I'm joyful. I, now, if you would asked Robin, was he that way in his 20s? She would have said, no, he's never happy. He always wants to do something else. He's a praise leader. He wishes he was a youth pastor. He's a youth pastor. He wants to be a missionary. He's a missionary. He wants to start churches. He starts churches. He wants to be a prophet. He's, it, it was always something. It was always putting my hand, what could I be? I want to try this. And she would even tell me, she said, why don't you just settle on something? Well, I was so passionately in love with God to find the perfected will, I was afraid I was going to be doing the wrong thing. And rather than just enjoying the moment, I was always wondering what if I'm missing it. And so I was miserable in my moment because there was always maybe another moment that was the reality of God. And I'll never forget what my dad said years ago. I was miserable doing what I was doing. I said, Dad, I really think. And he said, Son, here's, here's a piece of wisdom. I said, Lay it on me. I was just waiting on him to tell me to quit. He said, he said I've just learned wherever God has you, you just got to live there like you're going to die there. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's not what I wanted to hear. I don't want to stay somewhere I'm unhappy till I die. So, I want to teach you how. I'm just going to, I think, give you four things. So, very practical four things on how to find the divine perfected will of God. Is that okay? All right, here we go. Back to Ryan, what he read. Jeremiah 29, here's verses 1 and 2. Now, the passage that we all hold to is at verse 11 I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. And we have shirts and bracelets and it's on our Instagrams. And it's the most taken out of context scripture ever. Because here's the reality of it. Jeremiah wrote a letter to all the people who had been what? And all the people who had been what? Deported, exiled, and deported. This actual, I have a plan for you. It's coming to a group of people who their lives have been flipped upside down. They were in a land they did not want to be in. They were ruled by a king they did not want ruling. There's nothing about their bucket list that is happening. They're going to be stuck there for 70 blooming years. 70 years. They're going to be in this mess. And it's in that mess of 70 years of captivity, being a prisoner, living in a land that's not yours. It's not your bucket list. Your family doesn't own it. You you were hijacked away by a, a mob of an enemy, and they took you to another country. So just imagine today, somebody comes by your house, kidnaps you, your wife, and your children takes you to the Middle East, dumps you off in a desert valley, and you are there, and nobody can come get you, and you're praying to God, God, rescue me. God, help me. God, deliver me. God, get me back to Villa Rica and Douglasville to my peeps. And the Lord shows up and says, No. You're going to be here for 70 years. Suck it up. I know the plans I have for you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Nobody wants to hear that. I want, some, I want Liam Neeson to come and get me out. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want God to tell me to stay. So there is a weird thing of this scripture. I know the plans. It was prophesied from God to a people who were stuck. And God wasn't going to get them out quickly. But in the mess of stuck, he wanted them to know there is a plan that is working. So you need to know, even in the middle of a mess, if you suck it up, God can work and is working a plan. And the plan is not always an immediate tomorrow. Your life is brilliantly in the perfected will of God. You may be in the middle of a married to a jerk, but Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> but if you give God time, He can perfect that thing. All right? So here's the, here's the thought that I had, and then I'm going to walk you through some steps. I don't like this, but it's true. Sometimes it's the hard path that reveals the plan of God. That was all the old people that said that. <laughs> Not one young person over here, amen. Ryan Ryan just put his head down. Michael's just sitting there like this. All the old people are like, amen. Amen. (laughs) We've been there, done that. (laughs) we fought in Vietnam. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I will say this. uh, That doesn't appeal to young people. But those of us that are older know it's just true. It's the hard path that reveals God's plan many times. It's the turn you didn't want to make. It's the place you ended up you didn't want to be. It's the stupid decision you made. You felt like you blew it. But in the middle of all that, His mercy found you. And He still tells you, I have a plan for you. And it doesn't matter how much you've messed up, Mark. It doesn't matter how much you've blown it. Or if you've made the wrong decision, I wanted you to go to UGA and you went to West Georgia, Mark. How stupid of a kid. Don't worry, Mark. I got you, son. I can get you to the future, son. I can get you there. Literally, think this out. God has a future for you. And Mark Evans decides at 18 to go to Georgia Southern College. It's a college, Georgia Southern University now. What if I would have chosen to go somewhere else? I'm going to go to the University of Alabama. My family's an Alabama fan. I'm going to go there. And God said, well, he's blown it. Nothing I can do with him now. My perfected will was for him to be an eagle. And he's going to be an elephant. (laughs) He is forever... Ruined himself. Do you really think God is that limited? That if you did buy the wrong car, the wrong house, the wrong person, marry the wrong person, go to the wrong... Do you think that the God that created the universe is going to look at you and go, Ah, you just is so stupid. I can't even help you. Do you really think he's that way? No. Because that's ludicrous to think that you will live on planet Earth and never make a poor decision. Or never do something you may regret. But but God wants us to know that this scripture, I have plans for you, was in the middle of a hard path. It was in the middle of something they didn't choose. It was in the middle of another person uh, putting the pressure on them. It was in the middle of another country exiling them to another land. And I just want you to know this about your heavenly father. You may have made some stupid choices uh, from other people or yourself. You may have been done wrong by other people. You may find yourself in the middle of a mess right now wondering how you got there. Know this about the scripture. I have plans for you. In the middle of the mess, he still has a plan. And he will rescue you and give you a hope and give you a future. He's that beautiful of a God. And that helped me understand that every little decision I make is not me walking on thin ice waiting to disappoint the heavenly God above. And sometimes when things went left and I wanted to go right, I had to learn how to seek His plan. Even in the middle of that and the weird thing, it was in most of the hard times of my life, I found the sweetest presence of God. Most. Here's step one you got to be willing to tackle the hard things. Easy doesn't mean it's God's plan and hard doesn't mean it's the devil's plan. A lot of Christians think if it's hard, the devil must be on them. Devil's coming after me hard. Why? I just flunked biology. That's not the devil. That's biology. (laughs) You're just probably dumb at science and it's okay. Hang in there. Take another test. Cry it out if you need to cry it out, get a tutor. You did not flunk science, biology 101 in college because the devil's out to destroy God's life plan. (laughs) But Christians think that. It's just not how it works. Because sometimes the hard way that God tells you to go is His plan. I want you to leave mom and dad. I want you to drive 969 miles to go to Tulsa, Oklahoma three months after your wife died. I want you to sell everything you have. I want you to leave all your friends behind. I want you to quit your job. And I want you to go somewhere. And I want you to just trust me. And Tulsa, Oklahoma from Statesboro, Georgia was the hardest decision this old boy has ever made in his life. I was in my mid-twenties. My wife was three months in the grave. I had to sell the condo, I had to drive the car, I had to get rid of all of her stuff, I had to quit my full-time job, I had to leave all of my friends behind, and I had to go to the god-forsaken land of Tulsa, Oklahoma, Tornado Alley, there's no mountains, there's there's no nothing, it's just nothing, it's just like somebody got there and ran out of gas. It's just like, here, God, who moves out here? It's in it's the middle of nowhere. It's like the belly button of the USA. It's just like, it serves no function at all. It's just, it's just there. And I found myself there. I cried. This is honest truth. Just show you how hard it was. I left Statesboro, Georgia on a Sunday afternoon after church, and I cried from Sunday afternoon till Tuesday morning. Every tear, snot cry, you could cry because I did not want to go. I even tried to turn around. You know my story. I tried to turn around and go home, and I couldn't do it. And I met the most beautiful, amazing woman ever because I went the hard way. And God saw four beautiful daughters because I went the hard way. Like God had a plan for me, but it it, it forced me to do something that my flesh was nervous about. I was scared to do it. I I didn't know. And so I've learned that step one, that as a Christian believer, break the, the mentality that says everything hard is of the devil. Sometimes the hard thing is God because He wants you to trust Him. He wants you to lean into Him more. He wants you to stop leaning on mommy. He wants you to get out of the basement. He wants you to get out from under their care. He wants you to spread your wings. He wants you to step out and fail. Because when you fail, he can pick you up and show you how wonderful he is. You the hard things, right? Step two. Oh, here's the wisdom. I'm sorry. I'll give nuggets of wisdom I learned along the way. This was not mine. This was my dad's wisdom to me. And I'll pass it on to you. Mark, if you start something, finish it. You'll learn more about God and yourself when you stick it out to the finish line. I cannot tell you how many Christian people quit things and blame it on God. Well, Lord told me to drop out of school. No, he didn't. You just don't want to go four years. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't. Sometimes he will. Sometimes he'll say drop out of school. I don't know why he would, but I guess he could. You start something and the Heavenly Father says, yeah, don't finish it. It's kind of like me on the cross. I started it and decided not to go. I want you to just quit midstream. I just just learned to believe that God is a finishing God. Now, this is what this tells me. If you're going to finish it, be wise before you start. And don't start stupid. Because a lot of times we just start... And we don't really think it through. We don't get a lot of wisdom. We don't ask some old people what they think and pushing us. But dad told me this, and he told me this in college. This was my first year in college when I flunked biology 101. You thought I was just making that up. I flunked my first English exam. I got an F, and I came home and told my parents, college is not for me. But college needs to be for me because the college that I'm in is going to open the door for me to go to grad school and grad school is where my sweet bride is at. So if I drop out, I may not ever get to my sweet bride. And so I came home and told my parents, Hey, Dad, I know you're a CPA. I know Gary's a CPA. I know Uncle Charlie's a CPA. And all God's chilling are CPAs. I ain't a CPA. College ain't for me. I don't I don't I don't believe I'm called to go there. And this is what he said. Well son, if you drop out today, you'll start a habit of quitting everything that's hard. And the last thing you need is to be a man who starts a habit of quitting everything that's hard. My recommendation is you finish. That's that's semester 1. Well, thank God for a good father. I finished. It was hard. I flunked some tests, I stayed late nights, I cried through some English exams, I took a lot of tutoring for algebra because who ever decided that letters are really numbers are stupid? (laughs) And, And I had to take a lot of tutoring, but I made it. Stick it out to the finish line. Here's the second step, Jeremiah 29, 4 and 5. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army, the God of Israel, says to all the captives. Now look at what he tells them to do. I said this last week. He didn't tell them to whine. He didn't tell them, pray that I come get you out of here. He said, I want you to build a home, plan to stay, plant gardens, marry, have children, find spouses, and then have grandchildren. In other words, you're going to be here so long that you can either sit around and whine and never become productive to society, or you can just suck it up and become productive. You can always whine, this is not what I wanted for my life. This is not what I wished for my life. This was not what the path I would have wanted. So what? You're on it. So God says, build a house, plan to stay, plan a garden, marry, have children, find a spouse for those children, have grandchildren. So obviously, God is not nearly as thoughtful to get you out of the hard place as He is for you to be fruitful in the hard place. He wants you to be fruitful. It's why a lot of churches can't really pass the fruitful stage because the moment it gets hard and I have to start building with people and hanging out with people I don't like, I don't stay around long enough to have children and grandchildren with them. I just go to another church. But God's system is build together, stay together, plant gardens together, develop meaningful relationships together. In the middle of the hardness, do something productive. All right, here's the step. Do what you know to do until God tells you what to do. Now, most people want God to just tell me what to do. Well, if he's not telling you specifically, just do what you know to do. If you want to be a doctor and he's not telling you where to go to med school, then just apply to all of them. Do what you know to do. Get up, work hard, do what you know to do. And if you'll do what you know to do, there'll come a time God will tell you what to do. Yes. But if you're not doing what you know to do, will you be in the place you need to be when it's time for Him to tell you what to do? Here's what we do to young people. We tell young people, oh, you need to be like David, King David. You need, you need to be like Abraham. You need to be like Daniel in the lion's den. And I just want somebody to tell these young people, no, you don't need to be like that. That's not even the goal of the Bible. When when Abraham was called, do you know how old he was when God called him? 75. That means for 75 years he just did what he knew to do. Follow daddy around and make idols for daddy. That's all I know to do. Make idols for my daddy because my daddy is an idol worshipper and Abraham for 75 years just makes just makes idols with his daddy and then one day God shows up and goes, "Come here, idol worship boy, you've been doing a good job with your daddy. I'm going to teach you about another God." Daniel in the lions' den. Oh, such a romantic story. He was 70 years old when they threw him in the lions' den. He wasn't a little kid. He had been faithful in Babylon to do what he needed to be done before he got this enamored Daniel in the lion's den moment. He was faithful to just do what needed to be done for the king. Whatever you need, count me in, I will do it. King David who kills Goliath. King David is some 12 years old, uh, historically between 12 and 15 when he kills Goliath. How romantic is that? A 15-year-old kills a giant on a battlefield. But it's 15 more years of him toting cheese, learning to play a harp, because the harp playing is going to get him an entrance to the king, and it's going to open a door for him to do something. He just did what he knew to do, play harp, tote cheese, keep sheep, and I ended up in the divine will of God. Who would have ever thought, just keeping a sheep, toting cheese for a dad as a chore? Who would have ever thought a chore could lead you to the divine will of God? Son, take this cheese to your brothers out in the field. What a day! The cheese, right? No kid wants to take the cheese. But in your obedience to do what your parents have asked you to do, in your obedience to go to school and try to do better, in your obedience to get up and get out of bed, get dressed, shower, put on some deodorant, and go work at McDonald's, in your obedience to do those things, you will be moving toward the divine plan of God. Because that's how the whole thing works. If you'll just do what you know to do. I'm here today at 56... You know how I got here? When I was 15, they needed somebody to clean the church. I said, well, I'll do it. I started cleaning the church. I mopped, I vacuumed, I flushed toilets, I emptied trash, I got rats out of toilets. When rats got in toilets, I fixed things. And so all the way through high school, from the ninth grade to the 12th grade, I flushed toilets in a local church for my dad. And I made a whopping 77 bucks a week but I just did what I knew to do. And then when they needed a bass player, I couldn't play bass, but I just said, well, I'll try. I learned how to play the bass guitar. They needed a guitar player. I said, I can't play, but I'll try. I learned how to play guitar. That led to me leading worship. It led to me doing an album that sold seven copies. (laughs) But I just did what I knew to do. If you needed somebody to clean, I'll clean. You need chairs straightened, I'll straighten chairs. I'll just do. And in doing what I knew to do, here I stand today. Anytime there was something to do, I'll just do it. You go to college, okay, I'll go to college. I'll just do what I know to do until God tells me to go to ORU. Here's the wisdom. This was whispered in my ear in 1992. As I knelt at an altar asking God what to do with my life. Because I felt lost. I was graduating seminary. I didn't know what to do. I'm going to miss the perfected plan of God. I'm I'm at an altar at the church where I was employed. And a gentleman named Larry Lee walked up behind me, knelt down, and he whispered this phrase in my ear and walked off. It was so profound I never forgot it it became part of my philosophy of life. Here's what he whispered. Mark, your journey is your destination. You see, I'm praying for my destination. God, where do you want me? Where do you want me to go? What should I do? Tell me what to do. If you'll tell me what to do, I'll do it. And what He whispered in my ear that day is, stop worrying so much about your destination and focus more on your day-to-day journey. Because whatever you do every day is where you'll end up later. If you want to be 180 pounds, then you your day-to-day journey needs to be let go of the donuts. Because the day-to-day journey is where you'll end up in 20 years. However you treat yourself today is where you'll end up later in your future. You want a better marriage today? We'll visualize it and then just every day do something to get there. And you will get there. Your journey is your destination. We like the destination better because it's more romantic. Here's the third one. Scripture. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray for the Lord... For it. Now he's telling them, pray for this city, this is the hard place. I want you to pray. He said, because watch now, the welfare of the hard place determines your welfare. That's profound. Like this hard place you're in that you don't want to be, rather than ask me to rescue from it, why don't you pray for it? And as you pray for its welfare, it's going to determine how good your day goes. So rather than walking in bemoaning the place you are in life, wake up and pray over it and bless it. And then as you pray the blessing over the thing you bemoan, suddenly the thing you bemoan becomes a very welfare of the blessing that you walk in. Here's what the scripture, this is just a tag on to that. I think it's important to give you one from the New Testament here. He says, be careful how you live. Make the most of every opportunity in the evil day. And here's the opportunity, step three. Look for opportunities to work hard and pray hard. That's simple. Just look for an opportunity. Well, I don't want to work at Home Depot. Who cares? They're hiring. Go work for them. And then while you're there, pray that they're going to promote you and you will manage the place and run the place. I don't want to run the place. Well, go and just work hard and watch what God will do. Just work hard. And we're raising a generation who hates this one. I do not want to work hard and pray hard. I want God to do it all for me. I want to immediately graduate and make $110,000 a year. I don't want to do a dad-blamed thing. I want to become YouTube famous, but I want my grandparents to buy me all the stuff because I could do it. It's ludicrous. I'm not saying it won't happen for the 1%, maybe, but for the general population... Hard work and praying hard for the Christian is how you get to God's perfected will. Your plan to launch a ministry may start with you working in Walmart. Well, I really want to have a camp that does this for kids or whatever. Okay, well good. It might start with you just learning a good work habit of working hard for someone else's dream, praying for their dream, and as you bless their dream... And so what I learned in this is there were many steps along the way that I found myself working places I didn't want to work. But I just learned to do it hard. They never had to figure out where I was. I showed up on time all the time. If they asked me to do it, I did it. I stayed late if I needed to stay late. And to the best of my ability, I didn't whine. And I would always pray over the place. And I would always say when I walked in, I don't care what the job is. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be highly favored. I'm going to prosper here. And they're going to like me when it's over. That's just kind of the way I went in. Not that I was arrogant. I'm not arrogant in it. But I just decided that was my philosophy of life. Work hard, pray hard. If you will, you'll be successful. God will open another door and you'll get another job. And then that job will lead to this and that will lead to this. And that will lead to a conversation. You're 45 and suddenly you're in your divine thing. Go, I don't even know how I got here, man. You got there because you took that job at Subway. And it opened another door to another door to another door. I'll tell you real quickly this testimony of my son-in-law, Michael. Um, he asked me if he could marry Olivia. They met when they were like 15, so he kind of just grew up in our home, and he asked if he could marry her, and I said, yeah, and I was kind of like, yeah, golly, man. I needed to marry somebody that knows what he wants to do with his life, not just play guitar, but he loved her dearly, and I loved him, and I knew he was the one, and And I kind of developed a philosophy of life. Just look for opportunities. And I would always say that to him, Man, you don't have to figure your life out when you're 20. I tell my girls that. Your 20s are not for finding your divine plan. Your 20s are take every opportunity you have. And then along that way, by the time you're 30, you'll hit something that kind of gels with you. Go that way. And so Michael did. Michael just did a little of this. Michael tried this. Michael went to school and quit. Michael went to Bible college and graduated. Michael came back, led worship. Michael was willing to do youth. whatever He'd just say, man, whatever you need, I'll do. 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 And then one day my dad said, hey, how about Michael? He looks like he's a hardworking little fellow. You think he might want to take over the money from me? And of course he's going to say, yeah, because that's his personality. Just whatever you need, I'll do it. And so he did it. Dad taught him how to do the money. Of the church, and then he comes to me later and goes, Dude, I just love money. Like, I, I just love this. Goes back to school, gets an accounting degree, starting a business in real estate now, and is gonna start doing things very passionately doing it. Why? Just because he found opportunities and went for it. Here is the bit of wisdom Go until you hear God tell you no. Stop waiting on God to say, Go! You just go. He's already told you, March 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. I, I love to live this one out. Just go do it, and unless he tells you no, run all you got. You want to go to UGA, go. If he do not want you to go, he'll tell you no. But until God tells you no, you keep going that way. They told Abraham Lincoln no a lot of times. He just kept going and going and going and finally he's the President of the United States one day. Most successful people go even when humans tell them no, they keep going. It's only until God says no. And when he shuts it down, you don't even have to worry. It's like, yeah, that's God. But if you'll just tackle, man, I'm going to get up and go here. I'm going to get busy about life. I'm going to start that business. I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to take that step of faith. And, and God will just have to tell me no because here we go, man. We're going to take a big step. Versus me sitting around going, okay, God. All right, now, Lord. Whenever you're ready for me to build that building on that 12 acres, you let me know. You just tell me. Tell me. Ooh, tell me. And I feel like God's like, tell you. I gave you the land. You think I gave you 12 acres so you could weed eat? I mean, that's kind of the way I feel like God's telling me. I'm like, no, sir. Well, why don't you go build it? Because it's hard. I just finished this one. I don't want to spend my life building my... So you don't want to do the hard thing, Mark. No. Okay, then preach a sermon about it. Oh, gosh, okay. <laughs> I think what God's doing is trying to stir me to go to that land and do something. Here's the next one, the final one. For I know the plans, here it is, I have for you, says the Lord, plans for good, not disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I'll listen, and if you'll look wholeheartedly, you'll find me. Now think about the context again. This is spoken to a group of people who for the next 70 years are stuck in a place where they don't want to be doing what they don't want to do, and God says, hang in there, I'm working something, and hey, while you're there, why don't you just seek me? And if you do, you'll find me. Here's step four. Wherever you are right now, seek God wholeheartedly, and if you do so, you'll wind up in his perfect divine plan. If you'll just seek him. Working at Home Depot, seek him. Figuring out college, just seek him. Pray hard. Work hard. And as you seek first the kingdom in that job, in that marriage, in that place that's hard, as you just get up every day and you're on your journey, as you journey wholeheartedly seeking God, as you journey pressing in to know Him more, pressing in to find Him, pressing in to commune with Him, as you do that, He leads your steps. He leads the next step. And before you know it, you're not in exile. Before you know it, you're Daniel and you're second in charge and you're still in the land that exiled you. You're in the land. That's Daniel. Daniel's in the land where they were exiled and Daniel's number two in command because Daniel just did what he, want, did what he knew to do. He was faithful to his God and his God gave him favor in a land where God said, plant, have kids, do that because you're not getting out of here for a long time. And Daniel prospers. Here's my wisdom and conclusion. The wisdom, I pray it all the time. If you can use anything, God, you can use me. Do you know what God's divine purpose is for your life? He just wants to use you. He just wants to use you. Well, is the divine will for me to go here or there? I don't know if he doesn't tell you. Go either one, but when you go, let him use you. Should I I buy this car or that car? Well, if he doesn't specifically tell you, buy the one you like best. And then when you buy it, believe that everybody that rides in it is going to get born again. Just believe that God can use anything. And when you live this way, here's the conclusion. If you want to end up, this is what I've worked out. If you want to end up in God's perfect plan. Right? So you're not frustrated anymore. Am I going to make the wrong decisions? Marry the wrong person? This is what I try to live by now. Make the most of every opportunity. Finish whatever you start. Work hard. Pray hard. And seek God daily and let Him use you. If you will do that, I can guarantee you, you will wind up in the perfect will of God. It may be when you're 70, like Daniel. It may be when you're 75, like Abraham. It may be when you're 30, like King David. It may be when you're 30, like Saul. But if you will just live this out, because, watch, every person in the Bible that we talk about as an amazing person had this as part of their personality. They just made the most... They finished what they started. They worked hard, they prayed hard, and they sought God. And God did miracles for them. Let me pray for you.
0: Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church YouTube channel. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there is anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at
1: mybelieverschurch.com. Be sure to check back next week for a brand new message.